Dear congregation, let's t- let us turn in God's holy word to the book of Isaiah. You can find it on page 782 in your pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, and we'll read the entire chapter. Our text will primarily focus on the hinge of this chapter, but we can't look at it outside of the context of this chapter and really the whole of the Gospel of Isaiah. And our text will therefore be verses 18 through 20. Let us hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land and your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of goats or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you, even though you may make many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. 
Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. How a faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murders. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water, your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Every one loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall come, shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired. And you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water, The strong shall be as tinder, and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word, and also uh, add his blessing to the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, As your pastor, I acknowledge that it has been indeed a difficult time and period that we have gone through as a congregation and also as your pastor. And in this time, as I reflect on it, my heart has been drawn to Isaiah 1. In Isaiah 1, we're brought into a courtroom scene where we stand before the Almighty God who is full of goodness and mercy, who is altogether holy and pure. As we come into this courtroom, you might only see condemnation. You might only see a God who has it out for us. But here in Isaiah 1, in the midst of this courtroom, 
our Lord takes us to the center of this chapter to see the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross to forgive sinners such as us. And I would like to focus on that today knowing that God is faithful that when we confess our sins that He is just and willing to forgive us our sins. That we would walk together to the cross not to overlook sin but first of all to discuss our sin. To discuss it. And really that's exactly what Isaiah is doing here in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and they are, He doesn't brush those sins away and say, well, they're not so bad after all. He says, your sins are like scarlet. They are red as crimson. They're not something that's insignificant. Especially when you put that scarlet color and that crimson color next to pure white. They are serious. Every sin is serious. And as we walk together with our Lord to the cross, I'm reminded of deer hunting. Because there, if you are able to shoot a deer, may run some ways off. And what do you do, especially when there's snow on the ground? You look for that blood trail. And and you see a spot of blood in the snow and it just stands out. And, And the Lord, as it were, takes us on this trail to the cross. And He says, look down, you see that blood there. It's as red as crimson. It's scarlet in color in the contrast to purity, whiteness of snow. And we know, don't we, from Psalm 19, that the law of the Lord is perfect. His commandments are pure. God Himself is pure and dwells in light, unapproachable. He is holy and we are unholy. And our sins stand out against the purity of God's holiness. And so He takes us to this first pool of blood. And there at that first pool of blood, He stops. And He says, I want to explain something to you about sin. I want to explain something to you about the offensiveness of sin. Because your sins are just not off-white, but they're scarlet. And what you as my people are guilty of is high treason. 
against me, the Lord your God. And as an office bearer in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I carry an office under our Master and King, Jesus Christ. And in carrying that office, when I sin, I commit treason against my God and my Master and against the kingdom of my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how offensive sin is. That's how offensive office-bearing sin is. And we call ourselves Christian. And Christians, the Lord says, look at this blood. Christian, you are an office-bearer. Because that's what Christ means. Office-bearer. You, Christian, you are an office bearer in my kingdom. You say, Pastor, this, this sounds a little bit radical. And maybe you thought to yourself, well, you know, consistory confesses to sins of omission. And I'm not saying that consistory had ill thoughts of anyone and sought to, sought to do things that were trying to bring down the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe our consistory had that intent in any, any, any way. However, we committed sins of omission. And in doing so, in doing so, we have committed treason. Might sound like strong language, but that's when I open up my dictionary and understand what treason and the definition of treason is, is this the action of betraying someone or something. And so, how have I, as a pastor, cre- committed sins of treason? When I disobey my God, I betray my God. When I disobey His word, I betray His word. When I disobey my Savior, I disobey and betray Him. When I plagued with doubt, this was an example that was used. Doubt is the ultimate treason against faith. When I'm plagued with doubts and fears that my God can't do it all and I need to do it, I'm committing treason against my God. And so, we have failed under Christ, under His Word. We have betrayed our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have betrayed the very oath we swore in upholding even the order of church that we committed to. Sins of office-bearing are sins of commission. Of omission and also commission. In the same sense. 
Well, let's continue to walk as he explains this pool of blood. The first pool, he says, I'll tell you specifically what it is. This first pool of blood is is covenant familial treason. Notice verse 1. He's writing this gospel account to the leadership of Israel. Remember, Israel was a nation that was governed under God through her leaders, just as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And they were shown to be a family of God. And so therefore, he addresses the kings. He addresses the princes. In chapter 28, he addresses the heirs of the prophets and the priests. The offices of Jesus Christ. The offices which we bear as Christians and office bearers. And this is familiar tre- familial treason because God has called Israel her son. Even his son. Even his firstborn son in Exodus 4, verse 12, 22. And notice in verse 2, he says, as He calls the heavens to give ear and the earth to give ear, He's calling all of creation to testify against His children. I have nourished children. I have brought up children. And they have rebelled against Me. Isn't that what He's he's done for us in so many ways? He has raised us through, through covenant baptism, through covenant homes and covenant gospel preaching and covenant education. Cece even sent some of us to seminary. I have nourished and brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. It's familial trees. It's national prison. He, he says, look, there's another drop of blood and it's, it's, it's going in the distance. There's national treason. Because in Exodus 19, we're called to be a holy nation. Israel was called to be a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, God's elect nation. In verse 4, he says, ah, alas, a sinful nation. A nation who has committed treason against their king. And they're God. And he takes another step. Look, there's another drop of blood. And he says, that drop of blood points to covenant worship treason. In verses 11 through 15, we recognize there that the Lord has commanded Israel to serve Him with their whole heart. And here in verses 11 through 15, he's saying, No, you have not served me with your heart. You have brought these sacrifices, the whole multitude of sacrifices before me. But guess what? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams. I have had enough of all all of your sacrifices. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Why? When you come before me with all of these sacrifices, who has required this? Why would you come and trample my courts? Just stop bringing these sacrifices unless you repent and sacrifice with your heart. You see what has happened there in worship. They wanted to have it man's way. 
They wanted to serve themselves in worship. They wanted to worship the terebinth trees or the, 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 the groves, as we find later in this chapter. And they committed treason against a God who had called them to worship Him according to His Word and with their whole heart. And he even explains later on in Isaiah exactly what that heart worship looks like. When he reveals himself to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, in all of his glory and beauty, and Isaiah falls on his face before the Lord, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am unclean and dwell among a people who are unclean. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's the worship that He wants. And that's the worship that He deserves. As we're looking down at those pools of blood, we see our shortcomings. We look in the mirror and we see them. But He doesn't want us to keep looking there. He does want us to look there, but not to keep looking there. Then He takes our eyes and He lifts them up. And He says, now look in the distance. You've been looking down at the ground following this trail, but I want you to see in the distance. What do you think we see? Our Savior on the cross. And so he says, let's take a walk to the cross. And he says, let's, yes, discuss your sin, but secondly, let's discuss our Savior. And it's interesting that the one who's taking us to the cross is Jesus himself, too. Because this is all said by the Lord, and we know from John 1 that indeed, The Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ here as He comes to us in Isaiah 1, verse 18, He says, Come now, let us reason together. And and what He's saying to us is He says, Now we've talked about you, but I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me, the one who's hanging on the cross. I want you to come with me to see there on the cross that God, my Father, has put on me all the iniquities of my people. I've been weighted with them. And there on the cross I hung and I bled for a sinner like you and like me. He says, come. Let us reason together. Sometimes we say, you know, some people are just unreasonable. But God is not unreasonable here in any way. 
the truth of the matter is God is reasoning with unreasonable sinners. And in a certain sense, he's been reasoning with us throughout this whole chapter. He says, you know, even the ox and the donkey, they know their master's crib. Those who serve the farmer know their master's crib. But you, my people, don't know. As a pastor, I used to be a farmer. And the livestock knew better that I was their master sometimes than what I acknowledge to God who is my master as your pastor. Verse 5, he reasons with us. Because when we know that the Lord is second place in our life, we're going to go through difficulties. We're going to be stricken again and again. And in verse 5, he continues to reason with us, and he says, why should you be stricken any more or again? You still revolt more and more even though your whole head is sick and though your whole heart faints and even from the sole of your foot to even your head, there's no soundness in you. You are a disaster. It's like you went and stepped out in front of a bus and was smacked by it. Went to the hospital and you're barely recovered. You come out of the hospital on crutches and, and you don't even look at the crosswalk and that same bus smacks you again. Why would you be stricken anymore, says the Lord? He's reasoning with us. Haven't you learned your lesson? And here he comes to us. He says, let's reason together. Because my reasoning will make what is impossible possible. Because notice in verse 16 through, eight, through 17, He's calling us and reasoning with us, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from your eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. How are we ever going to do this? We can't do it in ourselves. We've just looked at all of those pools of blood and we're just disasters. We're depraved sinners. We need to be washed. And yet He comes to us and He says, Come now, let us reason together. I will make the impossible possible. I will take scarlet sins and make them as white as snow. I will take red crimson sins and make them as white as wool. How? Well, the key to this chapter in answering the question how is verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. God's justice against our sin needs to be satisfied. 
The debt needs to be paid. And so there on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive it. And so those penitents, those who are repentant, they can know that they receive the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and are clothed in His white robes of righteousness. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and they are, they shall be made as white as snow. All through our Savior's washing, cleansing work, and the power of His blood. Come. Let's walk to the cross to see our sin, to see our Savior, but also to see our salvation. You might think, but Pastor, we saw, your, we saw God's salvation already. Our sins are made as white. And yes, indeed, that's true. In way of justification, our sins then are satisfied. And we are as white as snow. But at that point of seeing that our scarlet sins are as white as snow in God's eyes, salvation has just begun. It has just begun. Salvation has just begun when we submit to God's reasoning. And it continues from there. And so let's discuss our salvation, says the Lord. Verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. You see, in 1 John chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ is shown as that advocate. If we, if we confess our sins before God, He indeed will forgive us our sins. But He goes on to say that you are called to sin no more. This isn't a license to live in sin, but this is what Paul says in Philippians And He calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's now working in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. You see, salvation has just begun when we are saved from our sins. And it's a process all the way to eternity. And we do well to keep a short account with God and to press on in righteousness. And He shows us how. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Not just willing to reason with God, but willing to surrender all to God and to obediently pick up our cross and follow Jesus as our Master and our Lord. That's what it is to be obedient. And to do so, our will needs to change. We have a will that is against God. 
We have a will that wants to focus on ourselves. And we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our depraved will. And we need to be saved from our self-righteousness. And we need to be saved from our self-justification. We need to be saved from our idolatry. And so we need the continuing saving work and power of God by His Holy Spirit. The One who makes us willing in the day of His power to be obedient. And He gives a wonderful promise of salvation to those who are willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. Physically speaking, Israel would have been able to stay in the promised land, in Canaan, if they were obedient. But today, that's not what God is directing us to. He's directing us to see this spiritually. He's directing us to see that salvation comes with spiritual benefits. You will eat the good of the land. Well, what does that mean? That means that when we are obedient to God and when we are willing to take up our cross and follow Him, He will promises to be with us. And, and, and He gives us a closer communion with Him. He gives us the blessing of His presence. He gives us the blessing of the fruits of the Spirit also among us. Of love and joy and peace. And sometimes... When God comes with His hand of oppression upon us and causes us even to look at those drops of blood on the way to the cross that led to our Savior's death, His hand, it turns against us. And it exposes us for who we are and what we have done. Notice with me verse 25. He says, I will turn my hand against you. Why? He will turn his hand against you. Why? So that he can thoroughly purge away all your dross and take away all of your alloy. Well, what is dross? Dross is that stuff on metal, maybe like rust or whatever, and it it takes away the shine of it. And especially when you think about gold or silver, and it would be covered with dross, you don't see the gold shine for what it should. You don't see the silver underneath the dross. It's an alloy. It's not a true material. And he, will, he says, I will take that all away. I will take away that dross. I will take away that alloy so that you, my people, might shine as light in the midst of darkness. But my hand will be against you to do it. It won't come easily. And as I take away that dross and that alloy, in verse 26 he says, I will restore then your judges at the first and your counselors at the beginning. Afterward, 
you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. What God is doing is He's taking His church and He purifies her to be the city of righteousness, a faithful city. That's what He's doing in time. But we can also see and look forward to eternity. That we will there eat the good of the land, of the heavenly promised land, forever and ever at that eternal heavenly feast. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But, We need to remember the warning. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. You see, refusing the grace of God, refusing to reason with God, refusing to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sins, and seeking to live out of His life, The promise for you is that you will be devoured with the sword. John Calvin wrote, and I quote, How great, therefore, is the wickedness of men when they refuse to listen to God who is continually speaking to them and reject the happiness which He has provided and offered. It was proper that their wayward dispositions would be subdued, lest Those wretched men should be drawn down on themselves the wrath of God and willingly throw themselves like wild beasts on the edge of the sword. I pray that there's no one listening here today that is like a wild beast wanting to throw themselves on the sword of the wrath of God. Because verse 24 gives us a further explanation. The Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid me of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. Verse 28, The destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. The strong shall be as tinder, and the work of it as a spark, and both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. This walk to the cross is the most serious walk you have ever taken in your life. The Lord has stopped at the blood. And He has exposed our sin. And He has pointed to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has shown us His salvation. Come. Let us reason together, believers. To keep a short account with God to be humbled 
under His care and His grace. To press on in obedience and faith to Him. Let us come and reason together as fearful believers even. Who stand trembling before the holiness of God. Confessing you aren't worthy of the Father's call to come and reason together. Come now, backslidden sinner. Why would you be stricken anymore? Has not God revealed to him to us enough that our sins lead to death? And brokenness? Come, you who have even no interest in God and his salvation. Come and just see how unreasonable you are to not reason with a God who wants to reason with you. Come. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the end of this service, we stand amazed that there is forgiveness with you. O God, give us a peace that passes all understanding. In our own hearts, as we receive forgiveness from you, and begin this process of reconciliation with you and your people, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.